Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. I got prompted by something. I'm rereading a bunch of books. I reread Bill Johnson's book on Dreaming with God, I think it's called, over the last two weeks. And something, you know, he said a couple of times, I mean, this guy's a genius, man. I mean, God's gift on Bill Johnson. Man, I'm serious, really. He, it's so rich. And I always read a book at least three times because I get so much more from it. So some of this in the beginning, like I said, it's, it's, I've got a couple of lines from Bill Johnson stuff. And I want to say that boldly and openly because I refuse, you know, I don't want anybody, I don't want to give the glory. I'm never going to cheat is what I'm trying to say. If God quote what somebody else said, I'm going to tell you it was what somebody else said just because that's the honorable thing to do. Anyhow, I, so about Tuesday or something, I was reading something. I'm still having my incredible times in the morning. And I literally just read this, and I said, I don't understand this. And instantly I heard the Lord say, great, that means you have another opportunity to live by faith. Well, that may sound simple, but it set me off on something. I said, I don't understand this. And he said, great, that's wonderful. You don't understand this. I said, no, I don't. He said, that's wonderful. You've got an- this is another opportunity for you to walk by faith. And I began to think it through, and this is a statement that came from Johnson's book. He said, imagine, really, try to imagine what it must have been like day by day to be a disciple of Jesus. Really, I've always trained myself to put myself, like you've heard me say, in the scriptures. I want to smell the sand, the dirt. I want to sense the breeze. I, I like to walk in it. But he said, think, imagine what it would have been like day by day they were surrounded with things they couldn't comprehend. Now, really think about it. Every day, they were surrounded by stuff that they didn't understand. I mean, demoniacs were falling at his feet and worshiping him. Miracles were happening that just don't make sense, like the multiplication of loaves and fish. I mean, think about actually being there. You've got 12,000 people, and this guy... This says, bring me what you have, and don't worry about it, and you're going to feed them, and they're going to... They didn't understand. But one thing they did know was that his words, the words of Jesus Christ, woke something up in them that they didn't even know existed in them. And that's the preciousness that you have to approach God's word with. God's word simply will wake stuff up in you. Your spirit. You see, your spirit, listen, your spirit ready and willing to accept great things from God. You didn't hear me. Is made, is created as a receptacle. It is ready. It's been prepared to receive great things from heaven. I mean great understandings of things. I mean great ideas for inventions. I mean great things. Your spirit has been created by God to receive things only heaven knows. And you still, you've got to listen to what I'm saying. Your spirit has been perfectly designed by Almighty God to receive wisdom that only comes from heaven so that you might be a world changer, so that you might be one of the most prosperous men or women on earth, so that you might be with some of the, one of the most gifted musicians that's ever been, whatever it may be, a crafty, I mean, an artist as far as your ability to, to write or, or whatever or to speak, he has no limitations. Remember, that was the problem that Israel had. It says that they limited the Holy One of Israel. God, this is why the renewal of the mind is so incredibly important because it takes the limitations off of what you think about your abilities. Because most of us, if we're honest, you are bound or you're caught up in this thing where you only consider life through your present abilities. I said you only really look at life through your present skills or abilities because you think right now that's who you are. That's only the temporary who you are. That's not who you will be. But like I said when I prayed, you can't keep thinking backwards. You've got to think forward. You have to think towards the future that God has designed for each and every one of us. 
we quote that out of Jeremiah all the time about, I know the thoughts and the plans I have for you, plans for good, and to give you hope in your future. But you know, he really does mean that. But again, we're, we're our own worst enemy when we entrap ourselves with yesterday's thinking. So this issue of understanding and not understanding is a big deal. You have to be very comfortable to be around things that your brain doesn't automatically click to. Now, this is vitally important when it comes to what one of our great goals is right now, is to truly, it's, you have to say it differently, to truly press into the presence of God, or like it says here, I just happen to have it open, Psalm 89. Uh, Psalm 89 is where he says, uh, he talks about, I'm sorry, another, forget, the, not, forget where it is. But where he says, you know, I want to I want to bring my manifest presence into the sanctuary. It literally, there's a psalm here, right? I turned the page. I don't know. But I mean, he wants. He said, salvation is very near, and he said, I want to bring my manifest presence into the sanctuary. Now that is his desire. But we have to begin to quit. You can't bind God to one way of working. And one thing I discovered a long time ago is God is bigger than this book. You hear me? You have to think on that. See, sometimes all in the name of like being a finite teacher, I used to limit him because, you know, this is how God works. But I didn't, I wasn't childlike enough. I didn't understand that he's bigger than this book. This is where we begin. But to think that he is bound fully. Now, see, don't hear me. If you hear me, see, if people hear this wrong, they can really take it wrong. No, this is the primer. This is the primer, rather. This is that thing which gets us going in the correct direction. But God is still speaking, is what I'm trying to say. You do believe that, right? I said, you do believe that? God hasn't stopped speaking. So if all, if I don't give, if I don't in my mind have the capacity capacity to believe that he can speak something as it were fresh and new now I didn't say something that would contradict his known will but you have to believe he's wanting to give us things that are fresh and new like all our prayers and hopes like Julie mentioned about music and sound I will forever have that in my spirit I'm literally even like this word we have for this chosen there came a sound from heaven that phrase just sticks in my spirit so powerfully, there came a sound from heaven. How many new sounds might there be in heaven? How many new ways of doing something might be available to you? Like Latoria talking about the NHS and this new job. How many new ways of bringing healing does God have? All somebody has to do is be a faithful follower of the Lord, be in this book every day, his spirit will illuminate you to something that others have never seen. You see, we've got to get totally delivered. Something else I like in the book, I forget where I read it. It sounded like it was off the court, but he said, Bill said this, he said, remember, he said, there's no such thing as a secular job. There's no such thing as a secular job or secular career. But as long as you think that your job is secular because you're not in a pulpit, you're missing the whole truth of what Christ in you has come to do. Every single one of you. It's like, who said that all those many, many years ago? It said, whatever, you know, preach the gospel wherever you are, and if necessary, use words. Isn't that wonderful? Preach the gospel wherever you go, and if necessary, use words. In other words, your very life, wherever you work, Whatever your position is, whatever area you work in, your very life is ministry. Your very life, what you bring, that spirit that's so different than other people's spirit, does speak loud. And it does change lives. So you've got to get delivered from this thing about that. You know, I I work a secular, you don't work a secular job You are in the ministry, okay? I just want you to really hear that. Hallelujah. Anyhow, praise God. So the Lord, it really hit me when I thought about that. It's so true. The disciples were around stuff, I mean, every day that just probably freaked them out. But again, 
But they knew not to stray away from Christ because, again, there's something about that, much less the miracles, but again, his words. I mean, he, he was the word made flesh. And, and so one thing, and then one other thing Johnson said was this. He was talking about the difference between servants and friends. And John 15, 15, I'm going to read it from the uh, John, um, well, John 15, 15 is where he said, I no longer call you. Well, go ahead and put it up, guys, if you want to. John 15, 15, I'll just wait till you put it up there. You're familiar with the verse. I do not call you servants or slaves any longer, but I call you welcome to church. Thank you, Father. I do not call you servants, slaves any longer, for the servant... Now, literally, listen, and Bill called this a promotion. He said, Jesus promotes them from servant to friend. I do not call you servants or slaves any longer, for the servant does not know what his master's doing or working out. But I have called you, and then in Greek it says, I've called you now. I have now called you my friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my Father. I have revealed to you everything I have learned from him. Now, in several places, you're going to read scripture like it in the Gospels where Jesus says, if you see me like the example, you've seen the Father. He came to reveal the word of Father. Now, again, like I said about God being bigger than his book, this book isn't God. Yes, the word was made God, but this word reveals who God is. It reveals. And so for all of us, but this whole thing about he, he wanted us to go from just being slaves to becoming a friend. But I, I've, I've taken a little bit further, and I realized I saw something again, just that we're really to go from servant to friend to sonship. To get to the place where we now, in this dispensation, really understand that we're called to be much more than just a friend. Glory to God for the friendship we have with him that will continue forever, I pray for sure, which I'm very... I love being God's friend. I love being able to say, God's my friend. I really do. But something else, all these things are something that it's a transfiguration that takes place in your spirit. When these things, when your mind becomes renewed to this, when that switch is flipped, where you realize, I'm no longer a servant. I'm, I'm actually God's friend. And other, this is a couple of other things he said. He said, servants are task-oriented. They're concerned about disobeying. Now, watch this difference. Servants are task-oriented. They're worried about disobeying. But friends aren't really as concerned about disobeying, but they're rather concerned about disappointing. This shift, the focus shifts from just obeying commandments to being in his presence. It shifts from, and I like this part, it shifts from assignment orientation to relationship. Now, you get to think on that a lot. You see, you'll locate yourself, if say like the, the, the ask we just gave a minute ago again about how we do indeed need people to help, we need more help, so, you know, I am so, so grateful, uh, there's not a week that goes by, much less probably a day, that Julie and I aren't so aware that we get to walk in here and stand up here, but it's all of you guys that are in the background that make church happen. That really is something incredibly powerful and important and humbling. I mean, it really is. If we didn't have you, I mean, there wouldn't be the opportunity to gather once let's see the increase that the Lord has spoken is bringing. So it's incredible. But nevertheless, see, if you only help us from a, I, they know, bless God, the church, you know, they're so poor and messed up. You know, I better help, I better try to help them a little bit because, you know, bless God knows they have, they have need of it. That is really a servant. That's just being, okay, I'm going to serve a bit. But there's an incredible difference that happens when you begin to go to something, not because it's a task, but because it is a privilege, because you recognize that 
I'm and actually in love with God. He's my friend. It is my honor to be of help. Now that just happens after a season, after a bit. But nevertheless, in relationship, the disciples began to see that it was not so much working for him, but working with him. And that, but think about this, this is what his aim was always about, duplicating himself and them to go and do the stuff he did. See, that's still, the call, that's still what he does in all of us today. He wants the duplication of his own heart. He wants us to love like he loves. I'm telling you, he wants us to forgive like he forgave. He wants us to be generous like he's generous. And see, all of those things are indicators. None of these issues are, are meant to bring condemnation. But they do indeed bring conviction if you have a good heart. And a good heart is a God heart. If you have a God heart, it's like you'll see something that needs to be done and you'll do it because of passion and love for God, not because of an announcement from the front of the church. Now, again, this is not to, not to condemn anybody. I'm just saying this is something we have to see. Jesus Christ is in the business of taking us higher. It's always been God's focus. He wants to bring us higher and higher and higher to lift us, it says in one passage, into the very glory of his presence. So anyhow, that was always the same. Working from, listen, working from his presence is better than working for his presence. I, this is something Mike Bickle said that I love. I turned on Mike Bickle last night, was watching this uh, One Thing conference for a bit. And he said, "There's lover in the body of Christ, there's lovers, and there's workers. And lovers always get more work done than workers. Think about it now. Why? Because of the issue of passion. Passion for God gets more done than the mentality of, I guess I better help the church out because they're so needy. <laughs> so the issue is where you find passion. But I, I want to I say that again. Lovers get more done than workers. And it brings up the classic thing about Mary and Martha. You know, it, it's profound when you actually look at that thing. You all know the story there where, you know, Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Martha, you know, is upset because Mary isn't helping her. But I like what Bickle said. He said, the problem is, he said that Martha was making sandwiches that Jesus didn't order. But the thing is, it says also this, and this is something that really hit me when I looked at it afresh too. It says, when Jesus spoke to Martha, he said, it's not wrong. You know, Mary was still somebody that served the Lord as well, to say the least. But she knew what had priority. And that's why Jesus said, Martha, you don't understand one thing. Jesus said one thing. Now think about it, because when I read it, and even like Bickle said last night, there's a whole lot of things that are important. But Jesus said one thing is important, and she has chosen that good part. And we've all heard, like I said, in other words, there's not everything but everything is predicated by knowing that the greatest thing you can ever do is sit at the feet of Jesus. You get in this Bible. I said nothing. I don't care what gift, talent there is. Please, I hope you've been around church and God long enough by now that you know your gifting, your grace, whatever that may be, will only get better the more time you spend at the feet of Jesus Christ. It's just that simple. But, Mary, but Martha, it really hit me because, I, I, like I said, this simple thing, I'd never really thought, of, thought about it a lot. You know, Jesus said, you're troubled. Martha, you're troubled by many things. And the word there means bothered. And I just stopped and thought, yes, so, so many people get so bothered about little bitty stuff, little bitty things. They get so caught up with being bothered about this, bothered about that, bothered about this person, that person, why this, why doesn't this person do that? Why did this person do this? Whatever, it's, they're bothered. They just stay bothered. And when they stay bothered, <laughs> they'll never get, that always being bothered about little stuff keeps them away from that which is actually the preciousness of Almighty God, which is seeking his face. He's sitting at his feet. I know this isn't some profoundly different message, but I'm telling you, it is profound in what it begins to produce. 
We must graduate from just being a ser- having a servant mentality. Now, you know, I teach John 13 all over the place. Servant leadership is still what it's all about. There never, ever, ever that will ever should be taken out of your spirit. But again, it's where you serve from. It's learning. I'm not going to serve from some emotional pull. I'm learning to serve because I love God. And I mean, really, because of my passion for Him, of course I'll help. Of course I want to be involved. I mean, of course. But see, that becomes a a place that's an indicator, like I said, where you don't get condemned, but you begin to recognize, well, where am I at on the scale serving up to friendship towards sonship? Am I still, eh, I just, you know, I'm, I don't want to, you know, I'm not going to get involved. Well, if you don't want to get involved, I guarantee you, you won't be involved much with God. But then they're kind of, okay, I'll be involved. I'll help because help is needed. That's fine. Hallelujah. And God will bless that. But like I said, but as you're in that, and if you stick around long enough, it's like I always say, standing near a slippery riverbank, you will fall in if you keep hanging around. And we need you to keep hanging around for that reason, because many of you, I'll tell you, you need to fall in. You need to get into the river where God really is. You need to get into where the flow of heaven begins to show itself. But anyhow, like I said, so you begin, when you get to the friendship level, you, like you said, you quit being task-oriented. You become more relationship-oriented. In other words, it goes from just another, oh, I've got this assignment I have to do. I have to do this. I have to do that. No, it's like, I mean, you know, it's like these guys, like I think I'm seeing David on, you know, it's like worship rehearsal, which I think we have once a month now, right? And guys come together and they plan for the next three or four weeks. If, if, if you're, I would be saddened if I thought some of our musicians, their attitude would be, oh, God, this is this Saturday's rehearsal. It's a bummer. I mean, I mean, you know what I mean. But because it's, see, it's amazing when you study scripture, it talks about God meets people in proportion to their waiting on him. In proportion to their waiting on him. In other words, if your attitude is, uh, I'm, I see, I get, I do have expectancy. I just forget where I was reading this morning. Was ta- where I read three or four scriptures again where God's talking about the strength of expectancy. And I, I, am ex- I like coming, see, I like coming to church. Not because oh, I get to hear Rod. Let me tell you something. I've heard Rod before. No, but I've got an expectancy. I am curious. I, and like I said, particularly now, like I said, is in my own heart. All I know is I hope it gets on you. This is one thing in me that I hope really does get on you is this thing where I am so hungry for the Spirit of God right now. I am so hungry for the manifest presence of God that, like I said, I feel like an echo in some ways, but I really am all the time saying, I need more. I want more and more. I'm not satisfied. I'm not satisfied. I'm not satisfied. I'll never be satisfied. I'm content because I love you, but I'm not satisfied. I do want, I want more, you know, fix me, correct me, direct me, whatever it is. And so I, every day now, I mean, every single day, I'm wondering what if, what will, what father, you know, every morning I still, like I said, I open the book I have this little routine I go through where I talk to the Father for a bit and I acknowledge that you are, you're the creator and you're still creating and your creativity has no end, no limit and I just talk to him for a minute then I talk to Jesus and I Jesus, thank you, you are my redeemer you've redeemed me from sickness from disease, you've taken my pain you've redeemed me from poverty you've redeemed me from spiritual death you've redeemed me from confusion by your blood I am redeemed. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. What an incredible price you paid for me to have this word. And then I go to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, and that sevenfold truth of you, I welcome you this morning as my counselor. You're my comforter. I receive you as my advocate. You are my intercessor. You're my strengthener. You're my helper. You're my standby. I welcome you to illuminate the scriptures to me today. And then I open the pages and I say, Father, I know this is the very bread of heaven. This is the bread of heaven. This is what will feed my spirit. This is what will guide me in the greater likeness of Jesus. 
and I receive it. It says, Father, your word says that every scripture is God-breathed. I receive your breath. I want your breath in my lungs, your breath in my breath. And I go through this whole thing every single morning. And, and, and like I said, and it's, it produces in you this, I wonder what might happen today. Really, I really do. I refuse to let every day be stagnant. I, I do not want a day in my life to be mediocre anymore. But you see, you do get what you expect. Faith attracts. Fear attracts. But I expect something new. But see, I'm trying to say, I want you to always be in expectation. Don't think, I said thinking has a direction. Don't keep thinking backwards. Think forward towards the goodness of God. I mean, how much goodness is there in our God? How willing is he to do something fresh and new and beautiful for you? How beautiful is he? But you, this is why you do, you do have to fan the flame. I guarantee you, hell will see to it that you get snuffed out after one or two days without being in the book, without being under the influence of God in some way, shape, or form. And I'm telling you, you do have to go and read this. I'm sorry, you have to read this. You can sing the songs, all the worship tapes, what have you, but I'm telling you, you better get in the Word. You've got to be in this Word because this is what quickens your spirit. This is what excites your spirit. This is what brings expectation into your spirit. That's what is going to change your future. Your future can be as good as it needs to be. God's plan for you is God's plan for you. And it will only be fully attained when you get into a place where his Holy Spirit can keep shining the light on your footsteps so that you can see where to walk. Where do you want me to walk today? What do, where do, do, when do, do you want me to turn left here? Do you want me to turn right here? Do you want me to turn to this book or that? Who, do you want me to call this person right now? Or whatever. I'm just stuck. And you find yourself being led by the Spirit of God. You know why you start being led by the Spirit of God? Because you're exercising that in your life by being in the Word, just talking to God, acknowledging the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit's come to do. I mean, He is in you. He's willing to do what the Word says He'll do. But again, invite Him constantly. But then is where you have to, says, the Bible says you have to, you do have need of incredible patience. You do. And this is where, again, it comes back to this understanding thing that I'm going to go in and out of. Like I said, I know I don't really have time to go for it. But anyhow, then it's sonship. So and then he wants us to go from friendship to sonship. And uh, uh, this is Romans chapter 8, verse 15 through 17. Uh, I've actually got it on my notes here in the Living Bible, so if you'll permit me to read it, you can go ahead and pick I don't think, I don't know if you had the Living Bible back there. But Romans 8, verses 15 through 17, and the Living Bible says this. It's okay. And so we should not be like cringing, fearful slaves, but we should behave like God's very own children, adopted into the bosom of his family and calling to him, Father, Father. For his Holy Spirit speaks to us deep in our hearts and tells us that we really are God's children. And since we are his children, I, this is the one part I like, and since we are his children, we will share his treasures. For all God gives to his son Jesus is now ours too. Right? And then it says, yeah, only we must share suffering for to share his glory. But it says, you know, that's what the Spirit of God came to do. And I love this. I don't know if I put it on my notes or not. But in Romans also, I think it's in Romans. You know, I don't think I put it on my notes. But I love this aspect, or maybe it's in Corinthians. <laughs> I'm sorry. But this thing is where Paul says about what the Holy Spirit does. It says to receive the ministry of the Holy Spirit, whose ministry produces sonship. It's ministry of the Holy Spirit produces sonship. Now, you've got to, again, don't just flip that away off into the grass and out the window. Every way you can cooperate with the Holy Spirit 
is good. The more time you spend communing, fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit. Remember, that's the, what they call the grace. The very last verse of 2 Corinthians that the Church of England says at the end of every, every service. You know, may the grace, listen, that, that's, that's is where God spoke to me 25 years ago and said, those are the three major areas I want you to study for the rest of your life. May the grace of the Lord Jesus, may the love of God, and may the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. He said, I want you to major, I want you to know what the grace, what grace really is when Jesus Christ came to do away with the law. The grace, I want you to understand grace. He said, above all, I want you to know my love. You've got to know that you're loved and accepted by God right now. No matter how ugly you is right now, God loves you fully, completely. It is true. He knows every dumb, small, stupid issue. He knows about that sin that doth so easily beset you. He knows all that stuff. All that stuff. And the fact of the matter is, you know, it doesn't stop him from loving you. It does not stop him from wanting to bless you. This is something that's incredible. And yes, we all know there are people that will take the truth and the, about the grace of God and they'll take it and run it and do stupid stuff with it. But that's not who we are. No, no, no. But it's true. You're forgiven. You've been cleansed. You're a free man and a free woman. You have right standing with God. There's nothing to fear anymore. Jesus Christ annulled death. He annulled death. It's done away with. All of that is done. Satan, he stripped Satan of all his authority. It says he reduced him to naught. I love that because when you look that Greek word up, it says he reduced Satan to zero. And you can't get much lower than zero. He reduced him to zero. The only thing Satan has left is noise. That's the truth. And Johnson says that in this book somewhere. I don't know why that just came up in my spirit. But anyhow, and so anyhow, like I said, sonship. And one thing that really, turn to Numbers 14. I want to go to this one. In, like I said, this next uh, thing we're going to do up at the barn uh, to go back and teach on intercession. I'm really looking forward to that because, of course, like Julie said, that's what we both of us, before we knew each other, that's what we cut our teeth on. Like I said, I had no comprehension of it. And the very first ministry job I ever had, as you've heard me say, I was hired as an intercessor of this church. It was just under 2,000 when I joined it, when I was there. I didn't know anything about it. God pushed me in this position where I began to learn. But anyhow, this, this passage to me is one of the most profound passages as far as what the heart of intercession really is about, I think in all scripture, there's all manner of things. But Numbers 14, you all know the truth of it, but I'm going to start in verse 11. And the Lord said to Moses, you know, all of them, Israel screwing up again, making all its complaints and freaked out. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people provoke and spurn and despise me? How long will it be before they believe me? Trust me, for all the signs which I performed among them, I will smite them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and I'm going to make of you, Moses, a nation greater and mightier than they. Again, this is where Moses shows himself as a true type of Christ. That is the true heart of what an intercessor's heart needs to be. So he says, God says, now, but this is the thing. Well, let me just read it, and then I'll make the comments, because I, I can't camp here. So God says, he tells Moses, his friend, the only guy he knew face to face, it says in the Old Testament, I'm going to smite this people. I'm going to tear them up. I'm going to disinherit all of them. And I'm going to make of you a greater nation than all of they ever could have been. Well, you know, to some guys, they might go, cool. You know what I mean? Hallelujah. I'm going to be somebody. You know, forget them. But verse 13, but Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear of it. And of course, remember, Egypt is always a type of the world. He says, if you disinherit your people, if you don't do for them what you said you do for them, the world's going to hear about it. For you brought up this people in your might from among them, verse 14, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, Lord, are in the midst of this people of Israel, that you, Lord, are seen face to face. And that your cloud stands over them, that you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night. In other words, he's saying all these other nations have heard about what's going on. 
Now, if you, verse 15, if you kill all this people as one man, then the nations that have heard your fame will say, oh, well, the Lord is, he wasn't able. In other words, what you said he would do, he doesn't do. Because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land, which he swore to give them. Therefore, he slain them in the wilderness. And then Moses says, and now I pray you, and this is the whole thing. This is where we have to, you begin to discover God's desire. Listen to me. You begin to see God's eternal desire for you and I to be co-laborers, not working for him, working with him. Okay? Verse 17, And now I pray you, let the power of my Lord be great, watch, as you have promised, saying, The Lord is long-suffering, slow to anger, abundant in mercy and loving kindness, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty. He'll visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the third and fourth generation. Verse 19, I love this. Hear what Moses says. Pardon, I pray you, the iniquity of this people, according to the greatness of your mercy and loving kindness, just as you have forgiven them before from Egypt until now. And verse 20 is the hallmark verse. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. But this is what you have to catch. He said, I pardon according to your word. But what was Moses' word? Moses' word was God's word. See, this is what you've got to catch. God will declare coming judgment. But he waits to see, is there somebody who knows my covenant? Is there somebody who knows to come back with what needs to be brought back so that I don't have to do what the covenant says I'm going to have to do? Is there somebody that knows this side? Because I'm telling them because of the sin of this people, what's in my covenant that I'm going to have to do now because they've transgressed. But there's another side of my covenant I don't want people to get into agreement. You've got to hear that. I don't want, see, this is the difference. I don't want people to get into agreement with the judgment that this world does need. I want people to be in agreement with my side of the covenant that says, if you'll cry out to me, I'll forgive them, I'll pardon them. I mean, you know, even like, even when I was talking about my friend the in a coma, when God spoke to me about how, you know, he was, he's, you know, I just, I don't know, I think this thing's probably going to happen to me again. And, you know, the verse is jumping. We all know the verse in Job where it says, that which I have greatly feared has come upon me. You know, if you fear it, you attract it. You know what I mean? And the Lord had me pray for him, and I went right. Because, again, I, I know a little bit, now don't mishear me, but, you know, I thank God that God has given me a bit of knowledge of the book because I've been in it a long time. And a verse that I hardly ever see anybody actually execute is in 1 John, where God says this. He said, if you see a man sin, a sin that's not unto death, ask and I'll grant him life. I can get somebody else's forgiveness for them. There is a sin that's unto death. I do not say that you should pray for that. But that's something else further. But the point is this, and that blows the religious mind. But God said through his word, if you see somebody make a mistake like that, see, I'm not going to enter into the judgment and say, okay, this is going to happen. No, I'm gonna, I said, Father, forgive Charles. I know from his heart that that's not, you know, he, didn't, he doesn't understand that aspect yet. Forgive him. Grant him life for that which was death that came out of his mouth. Why don't we do that more often? Why are we so quick to go call up the gossip machine? Did you know what Crystal did? She put 34 centimeter on. <laughs> I'm sorry, I better shut up. Because I know Mike and Claudette's going to beat me to death later. I know Claudette's back there right now going like it. Because you'll probably put them on her. <laughs> no, she looks absolutely lovely. I was just sitting there and I noticed these beautiful eyelashes. So forgive me. I'm sorry, everybody. You can... That's okay. God bless me. I'm still going to heaven. <laughs> but the thing is, but seriously, this is a very, very powerful truth. You see, part of knowing that you are being more like a son or a daughter of God, you don't enter into agreement with any judgment. This whole thing, when you hear the world, 
the way, again, how they, you know, Theresa May, whatever you may think, but my God, man, if you don't have any sense of pain for her, you're not even born again. I mean, seriously, you know, to think, Father, what this woman has gone through, mistakes, whatever, 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 whatever. But the way, can you imagine being in a position like that where everybody every day is telling, talking on the news and the media how rotten you are, how stupid you are? How they must, I mean, you couldn't handle You know, we get upset if somebody says you have an eyelash. No, but seriously, we get upset about stuff. Like I said, like Martha, we get bothered about anything and everything. Are you kidding me? You said, what? What about my scarf? I mean, I don't care what it is. Seriously. I mean, you know, we are too easily offended. And we're too easily upset. Do you actually think you're really going to do something mighty in your life if you allow those kind of character faults, those fractures to be in your spirit where you're so easily offended, where you always look on the wrong side of stuff? We're called to reflect God. We're called to be Christ-like. He's in us. So the ability, the capacity is there, bless God. So praise God. You know, if somebody misses it, Father, ground life. Your life will get a whole lot better because what you sow, you reap, I guarantee you. But think about this passage in Numbers. God said, I have pardoned according to your word. But see, but Moses' word was God's word. God is trusting and hoping to find somebody that knows this side of the covenant that will bring it back to him so that he doesn't have to execute this part of the covenant. But that's what real intercession is comprised of once you really go to the heart of it. It's not that you don't recognize the problem, but you recognize the solution more. The solution carries greater weight. Because you know that 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 our God is a loving God. Our God is a forgiving God. I don't care what they did. I don't care if it's, you know, seven times 70. I don't care if it's 500 times. I don't, I'm not saying you don't bring correction, but I'm saying, you see, it's everything. It's truth can kill you if it's in the hands of the wrong spirit. I've always said, you know, I've always given this old illustration about the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. I always use the old illustration about a surgeon's scalpel, how that scalpel can be the most perfect surgical steel that you can imagine. That scalpel in the hand of a, a bad surgeon can take your life. The same scalpel in the hand of a good surgeon can save your life. But the issue isn't the scalpel. The scalpel's okay. The word of God is the scalpel. It's who wields it. I said it's who wields it. And with us, it's the spirit that we wield it from. Do you hear me? Do you, is anybody really hearing me? We're called to be deliverers, healers, lovers. And that's the difference between, like I said, just being servant-oriented, whatever, whatever, anyhow. Our dreams, so it goes on, like I said, understanding. I, I've, I've got like these two streams here to go on, and I know I'm not going to be able to finish it because it's already um, 2.30. Dreams, sonship causes you to press forward. See, when you actually recognize you're a son of God, like I said, you become comfortable with stuff that you don't fully comprehend yet. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read because I typed this out. I'm going to read it rather quickly, I think. Our dream, sonship real understanding of sonship, when you find, I'm a son of God. See, and I mean, you don't just say it because you read it in the scripture, but when suddenly, when you start waking up every morning going, I'm God's son, or I'm God's daughter. So don't mess with me. <laughs> Is that son? You begin to carry a bit of an attitude. But see, that attitude is great because I'm saying, but it's when you realize when Satan tries to bring something inferior, you say, no, I'm not accepting that. I'm, I'm God's very son. I mean, he said his son, Jesus Christ died for me to become a son. Well, I'm not going to settle for something less. He paid for it. He wants me to take advantage of it. 
That's what you got to catch. This isn't pride. This is confidence in knowing who he is. Often I think we don't realize that our dreams are actually his dreams. Now, truly, he only wants success for us in every area of life, like Julie reading 3 John 1, 1 and 2 again. He only wants, and you've got to really catch it, he only wants success for us in every area of life, soul, peace, relationships, physical well-being, financial well-being, whatever. He wants our lives to reflect his love for mankind so that others may see his loving desire for people. So our dreams really, listen, our dreams really, and this is something Johnson said, because I've got an italic, so it reminds me. (laughs) So our dreams aren't independent from God, but instead often exist because of God. In other words, see, when you really begin to dream to do some big things, listen, now this is something you're going to have to catch. You need to listen. Turn, Turn your ears on. When you have a dream that is something that will not only bless you, but you know at its heart it's going to bless people. Now, that can be a dream, even in business, you know, because, again, it's like being truly, having a true revelation of kingdom finance. You can have a dream of becoming a millionaire, much, much more than a millionaire, because you really can have that something. My, You know, the Bible, you know, those uh, seven what they call body gifts there in Romans, you know, he that giveth, he that prophesies, he that administers, all those things. There are some people, that's the grace of God on their life to make money, right? I mean, to really make money. God wants us all blessed. I mean, without a doubt, the scripture is clear. He wants every single one of us blessed financially. But then there are those who bless God. They're called, they're, there's a gift, there's a grace from heaven on them to become incredibly wealthy. Because it's a, gra- it's a grace gift from heaven for heaven. It's for heaven. It's not for them. It is for the kingdom for real. I mean, for real. It really is. But like in anything, any of these things, you have to receive it. What I'm trying to say then is this. So sometimes, see, if you think that dream is just you, you'll fight harder than you need to fight. You'll fight from the wrong perspective. But when you begin to consider it through, am I good enough in myself to want this to happen? In other words, is this about me? And that's where you do. The dividing line comes. If it's only about you, then you are in dangerous territory. For sure. That's dangerous. But that's the difference between being unsaved and saved. (laughs) Sorry. It's just that simple. When you're truly saved, you want to bring other people into the knowledge of this love that's accepted you because only you know how short you fall. You're the only one that truly knows how many areas you still fall short in, how goofy you still are in some areas, that thing that constantly haunts you've got it together here, you've got it together here, you've got it together here, you've got it. I've got it together in a whole lot of areas. But there's, I'm not going to tell you how many areas am I in. <laughs> no, but you know, there's, I do, I'm just serious. I've really, God's really blessed me and graced me in some areas. But there's still a few areas I struggle with. I struggle with every day. But he's had to teach me. I'm not going to live in the midst of a thought life that only contains my struggles because I will never break out of them. I learned it from my, one of my spiritual fellow, Dr. Cole. I, he taught me, go to your strengths. Keep going to your strengths because in going to your strengths, you will break up and break and crystallize your fractures and your shortcomings. Because of, see, hell's job is to keep you looking back. You do. See, you really got to hear that. Hell's jo- Hell wants you to only look at where you fall short. He loves it. You give demons so much reason for partying when you sit back and have a pity party. <laughs> you know, like Bobby does sometimes. I'm sorry, I just had to pick on somebody. I said, okay, like Mike does. Like, no, Abby never does because she's Abby's Abby. Hallelujah. 
No, but I mean, you know, let's face it. Are you going, you know, like the old thing, worry is like a rocking chair. It keeps you busy, but you don't go nowhere. That kind of thing. This issue about hell wants you to get down in the dumps. Hell wants you to stay depressed, oppressed, suppressed, pressed, 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 pressed. Like Paul, though, he said, I'm pressed on every side, but I'm not dismayed. You're going to be pressed all over the place, but I'm not going to constantly give attention to where I'm being pressed. I'm going to, you know what? I've made the decision. First Thessalonians says he is utterly, I, I just love it. He is utterly trustworthy. And when that doubt, any little seed of doubt, because it does, it, it'll try to come up. It'll try to come up. I, I mean, it just roars out of me now. My God is utterly trustworthy. I will trust God. Nothing is going to make me back off what I've seen in your word. You are good. And your mercy and your loving kindness towards me endures forever. And you will never let me down. We sing it, but I've suddenly meant it. I'm, he's never going to let me down. And you see, he's never going to let you down. But you let yourself down when you begin to take hold of the lies of the devil and you get into oppression, depression, suppression. You believe the bad report and you start thinking backwards. You're thinking about, oh, this is going to happen again. Oh, this is the way it's always been. And this is what always happens with me. No, no, no. Think towards the future. Think towards God's goodness. I wonder what you're going to do for me next week. I wonder what, because you only plan, the only plans you have are good. The only, listen to that. The only plans. God doesn't have bad plans. Done. There's none of you here that God says, you know what? I love everybody on the planet, but you, but you, I'm going to use an example. I'm going to use you as an example of somebody that just kind of upsets me, and I'm going to just let all hell break loose on you because you're so ugly, because you, you mess up so many times. I'm just going to let you be the one-off. No, 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 you know, that's not true. All his plans. He does not have bad plans. Everything about him is defined as good. He's good. He's good. So our dreams aren't independent from God, but instead they often exist because of God. In other words, you've got to begin to see that it's particularly if you continue to sit at the feet of the Lord, he will give you desires. At Psalm 37, again, when I first heard it, I always heard people preach, you know, at thyself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And when I first heard that, and the way people first taught it, or at least, again, it's the way I heard it, you know, just, you know, Get with God. He'll give you what you desire. But, of course, I studied that up for myself, and what it really says is he'll begin to give you his desires. In other words, I'll be, the more you stay before God, the more you begin to desire what he desires. But, see, I wish I had more time because, like I said, like, you know, Judy's going to speak next week. Then we're gone on a two-week holiday. But, I mean, because this whole idea of co-laboring, he wants, see, like Moses, he wanted Moses to enter in to this situation with him. And he found a man who would. Hallelujah. He wants us to enter in with his process, co-labor with him by realizing, hallelujah, Father, I think you gave me a whole lot of this dream. You know what, Lord, it's, we're going to do this together. And how can I fail if you're working with me? I mean, really, like I said, and I just put her, this is a risky truth, is there will always be people who simply want their own lust to be validated by the truth of God's great goodness. But a good heart will reflect a God heart. And I've got to read quick. Of course the devil will fight you, but remember, the dark realm of Satan is not getting any bigger. I thought about this too. I put, this is what I wrote down when I said about noise. Or his ability to really hear this, I don't care how many times you heard it before, his ability is now in, actually, I'm sorry, this is, this is a Bill Johnson statement here. Satan's only ability is now in his noise, and only in his noise, 1 Peter 5, 8, going about as a roaring lion, to, indim- to intimidate through noise. The noise, listen, his noise is designed to give the illusion of greatness, but it's not so. 
In other words, he makes a lot of noise to appear big, to appear bigger than our God. And you know something else that struck me too. Listen. Demons aren't being made anymore. Demons aren't being made anymore. You say, so what? There's the same number as there were in Jesus' day while the population of man has got into the billions with hundreds of millions of believers being on the earth. Satan's wearing out. Like I said, you know, again, his own, but you really got to believe with the scripture. The only power he has is when he gets you into agreement with him. I will not agree with the devil. I'm not going to agree with my future being bad. I'm not going to agree with this, with Charles dying. I'm not going to agree with this, not God's will. I'm not going to be in agreement with Julie thinking she's going to beat me at backgammon every day. She simply won't. I'm not going to be in agreement with that. That's a lie of the devil because I'm a winner. Point your finger at your heart. Point your finger in your heart and say, I am a winner. I'm not a loser. I'm a winner. So there's, there's, there's no, no more demons. But see, part of sonship is not, listen to this, is not worrying about not understanding. And this is where I want to come back real quick and finish with this. Uh-oh, I, I didn't see something in the front row there, but I'm going to just keep going. Now listen, this is really important, though. See, because when you have a dream, which we all have something, all of us find ourselves in a situation where I do not understand what's going on. I don't understand why this hasn't happened yet. For that matter, reading in that book, you know that, his, that Bill Johnson's son, he, he talks about this. Bill Johnson's son, Eric, who's a missions pastor of the church, actually the, the pastor now because of the Trump. Do you know that Eric, for all his life, has been 85 to 90% deaf in both ears? He's deaf in both ears. And yet the most common miracle of all the miracles they have at Bethel, all the, the most common miracle they have is the healing of deafness. And Bill talks about how, but you know, I, he, said, but he said we prayed for him. And the funny thing is he said Eric has prayed for several people who were deaf and God healed them. And he said, do you understand all the questions that can rise up? You know, why? 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 I don't understand. But see, this is where you have to have a longevity about your spirit. You have to know, I, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to allow myself the luxury of staying. I might visit once in a while. I don't understand. But I'm not going to stay in the camp of I don't understand because my God is utterly trustworthy. And so like he said about Eric, he said, we know that we will see his healing. Full stop. But you have to get to the point, for that matter, remember his dad, the pastor before him, you know, got cancer, and he died from cancer, and they got in there with everybody praying every day and what have you, but, you know, his father went on home. I'm just trying to say no matter what minister you think is incredibly powerful and moving, I don't care who we are, all of us have situations in life. We don't have the answer for why something isn't happening, but you have to be okay with it doesn't mean you back off your faith. See, you've got to see the difference. It's just that you finally get to that place where I am. A, see, Jamie Anderson is Julie's son, my son too. So Julie's biological son. Jamie Anderson is her son. Nothing will ever change that. Whether Jamie's up one day, down one day, whether he's in Nashville, whether he's in Texas, whether he's in England, whether he's in Afghanistan, I don't care. Jamie will never not be her son, right? My daughter, Anna, will never not be my daughter. She is my daughter, up, down, whatever. When she used to screw up and what have and go crazy, she's still my daughter. When she does the best I've ever seen her, I'm so proud of her I could scream, she's my daughter. But she's my daughter all the time. I'm God's son, whether I'm up or down. You're God's son or daughter, no matter what happens. No matter what doesn't happen, no matter what I don't understand what's going on, see, hell wants you to, he wants you to be tested more than any other area in this place. He wants you to start thinking about, I, I must be different. There's something so wrong in my life. 
This is why God is not moving. Did you really hear that? I, I, I guess I've got so many shortcomings that I just don't qualify. I don't qualify. I evidently don't have enough adequate righteousness in me. I'm evidently not living good enough yet because if you live good enough, surely God's word will come to pass instantly. I mean, the scripture says he'll come speedily. Scripture says blah, blah. And you've got the words, but it's still not there. And so hell wants you to get up into doubt, which is a form of fear. And he wants you to start camping in doubtland. But I'm a son of God. Whether I see it or don't see it, really, I've had to get a place where, you know what, I don't care. But see, I'm still in faith. See, this is what, I don't have enough time. We're not saying that you step out of faith. It's just that your faith now truly is in God more than in the formulas that you see in the scripture. I know him now. I, I'm, not just, I'm not just full of his information. I've actually discovered a bit of who he is. And one thing I've seen throughout no matter what, all through Scripture, when things were happening or weren't happening, the one thing that never changed was His mercy and His loving kindness. I don't care how many people Israel screwed up, how many times Israel screwed up, He always, over and over again, but if they return and they call upon me, I will deliver them over and over. I mean, they did all kinds of crazy, idolatrous things, but if they call upon me, if they come to the house of the Lord and call upon my name, I will deliver, I will deliver, I will deliver, I will deliver. Our God is good. Okay, let me let me hurry. One of the signs of sonship spirit. Let me just read, and I do really have to stop. I'm sorry. I really am sorry. I did not mean, especially with food. I will shut up right now. I'm going to read three paragraphs, and I'll shut up. Our spirit is where the Holy Spirit dwells. This, I think, earlier. Our spirit is alive and well and is ready to receive great things from God. Listen, listen, really hear this. But if I filter everything through my mind, and if I only act on things I understand, if I filter everything through my mind and remove what isn't immediately understandable, I will throw away a lot of what I really need. Now listen to this statement. I, I, you really need to catch this one. Only what goes beyond my ability to understand. Only what goes beyond my ability to understand is what will truly renew my mind. If you can understand it, your mind's not being renewed, it's, it's being in one place. God always presents you with something that's beyond your ability to understand. That's what brings change, transformation. If you only live where you understand stuff, you will stagnate. And then let me read it again. We mustn't be paranoid about things we can't explain. Often people are afraid of being deceived, so they depend on their natural mind to protect them from deception. But when you rely only upon your own logic and reason to keep you safe, that in itself is a deception. Because God first gives you understanding from heaven in your spirit. Understanding doesn't come here first. Why? Because our hearts can embrace things our heads can't. My spirit can say yes to something, but my head says what? That's why I receive truth in the inner man. I think God intentionally violates our logic to encourage us away from the deception of relying on our own reasoning. Like I said, for me and for any of us who were indeed educated a little bit, like you've heard me say, you know, scientific method of thought, think, 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 logistically, think through, come up with a solution, think, 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 think it through, think it through, think, 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 think. 
You bind yourself to an area. I'm only going to live where I understand. That is deception. That means you've put a cap on what God can do. Because God's bigger than your understanding. So if you want to grow bigger in God, he's going to show you stuff that's bigger than your ability to understand. You need to become comfortable with that. Amen. First Thessalonians 5.24. Faithful is he who is calling you to himself and utterly trustworthy. And he will also do it. He will fulfill his call by hallowing and keeping you. Amen. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 